Hello and welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eaves. And I'm Hannah Hutzberg. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community in London and beyond. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from London's spoken word scene and many other spoken word scenes it turns out now. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Leanne Moden. And for our book of the month section, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We'll be chatting about How to Be a Poet by Joe Bell and Jane Kamein. And our writing tip is going to come from that book. But first, what have you been up to this month? Uh, let's start with Laurie. This month, uh, as in December, what mm. what what is Christmas like in lockdown for everybody? It's been a weird one. Um, it hasn't. It's usual that December's quite quiet for poetry, I think, but... In in our current situation, I think it's been even more weird than usual. But we've been having the Dead Darlings Advent Calendar, which um, Rebecca has mostly been working on. I've been doing a little bits of behind the scenes stuff, which has been nice as a project um, for me. Anyway, I don't know about Rebecca. <laughs> no, it has. It's been really, really good. Although, yeah, there were a couple of times where I was like just dancing to keep ahead of 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 where things were going live and some that I'd left to the last minute were like oh shit that needs to go up um so yes but no it was it's been absolutely fantastic like the response we had was amazing it was it was just so lovely just to have yeah poets just sending in amazing stuff and yeah just to perk people up every day like it was a really nice thing to listen back to as well like every day I was listening back to them and the ones that I'd done in advance I was like oh oh, I forgot this was here and it's amazing and you know it's just a really nice kind of it's been nice on a personal level learning that some people actually listen to our show and want right. to send in things for us to listen to. That's a very heartening thing when we've been doing this like 18 months now, um, sort of screaming into the internet void. It's quite yeah, nice just... to get some kind of response. But <laughs> Yeah, we're not just chatting shit into the darkness. <laughs> well, you're not. Um... <laughs> What else have I been doing? I've been reading, um, in fact, I've finished reading uh, Stage Invasion by Pete Bearder, also known as Pete Ooh. the Temp, which um, Hannah lent to me way back before the lockdown, I think <laughs> by about maybe a week or something yeah. like that. Whenever we recorded, it must have been March or February's episode 2020. Yeah. The more objects I could get out of my immediate possession, the fewer mm-hmm. I had yeah move with yeah yeah so hannah's lent me stage invasion uh it's taken me nine months but i finally read it um not because it's a slow slog of a book it's not at all i just finally got around to it um it's great it's a really interesting book hannah i've written all over your copy i'm afraid you're going to get it back with notes all over it um but i kind of feel like that maybe enhances the reading (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, maybe i will have to buy you another copy facsimile the front cover the front page where pete has dedicated it to you and put that in at the front because you're gonna have to sign uh, it to this point mate like. <laughs> maybe i will sign your copy a new copy for you um you need to put your name in the front like it was a textbook like on what year laurie yeah see yeah I might do that. Um, but it's great. It's really interesting. It's a really fantastic book. Um, it's quite, uh, it's more academic than the one we're going to look at, How to Be a Poet, that we're looking at later. Um, a bit more of a kind of study of spoken word in the UK specifically. Um, 
but that's not to say it's dry or boring or anything it's it's not at all it's a really accessible interesting read um it's made me it's prompted me to go and buy a bunch more <laughs> books and records by spoken word artists which is great um it's got a really fantastic section on um the history of spoken word from the romantics up till now um which is quite a potted history um mm-hmm. but it does it in about as comprehensive a way as you could do um and i really like that about it i think if anybody is looking f- to get to know the history of spoken word or more context um and which is never a bad thing i think that's a really good place to start um mm-hmm. also um a couple of days ago I had the sad news that uh, the rapper mf doom uh, died which oh, is sad because spoken word and hip-hop share a lot of crossover and i'm sure some of our listeners will be familiar with him and he was an amazing uh wordsmith um as a rapper and sad to hear that so yeah that's my month how has your how has yours been rebecca me um largely filled with cheese like i'm just emerging from a kind of cheese coma mm-hmm. um so yeah uh don't expect too much sense out of me um i know it's been nice uh so um obviously we're down in london um i was supposed to be heading back to my parents for christmas but didn't make it uh because of the lockdown which you know i kind of think probably was a sensible thing really um and i'm sure listeners up in sort of manchester who've been having you know horrible restrictions for a long time will wonder what we're whinging about or you know what uh, so Christmas has been nice. Uh, I've mostly been, to be honest, I've not read a lot of poetry. I've been reading a lot of YA fantasy fiction and just loving it because I can just tear through a book and kind of, you know, I sort of started a series with about seven of them. Mm-hmm. So I can just tear through a book and just pick up another one immediately, which has been quite a nice, um, yeah. Uh, Any recommendations? Uh, so I'm rather loving, um, so at the moment I'm on um, Sarah J Mass's series. I oh. Um, I think the series is called The Throne of Glass series. Mm-hmm. Um because I really liked her Court of Thorn and Roses series as well. Mm-hmm. And they're just unapologetically fun YA fantasy fiction, and I love it. Um, I also quite like Lee Bardugo's The Six of Crows duology, um, and I was going to start reading the rest of that. So I like this kind of... That that one is kind of a lot of sort of small series in the same world. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm going to go and start picking up on those as well. So yeah, that's been a lot of fun. been doing a bit of writing here and there. But yeah, apart from that, really not much. I think that was sort of something we said before we started recording, which is, what have you been up to? Fuck all. Really, very little. And it's been quite nice, actually. Um, so yeah, how about you, Hannah? Um, so in December we had, uh, so I, I've been hosting, I, I host Insight LGBTQ plus uh, monthly night, uh, which is run by a Islington and Camden-based anti-hate crime charity called Forum Plus. So that's a monthly thing. So we moved the December one a bit further earlier in the month so that it, you know, didn't clash with Christmas. Um, and um, had as a headliner um, Woody, Alexander Woodward, um, because I reckoned he had a Dickensian fireside chat kind of area. <laughs> he does. Um, that's true. And, Very much does. Yeah, he was excellent as predicted. We've also got some incredible regulars like um, Robert Garnham and Elizabeth McGowan and 
And so, yeah, just just have. Having... I, I think it's worth pointing out that everybody you've mentioned so far has actually um, was uh, on the Dead Darlings Advent Calendar. So if you're curious about any of these poets, go back and listen to the Advent Calendar because they have got episodes on there and they're great. Yes. Absolutely. But yeah, there's, there's been some absolutely awesome people. Oh, also, um, Simon Madrill is a regular who had uh, one pamphlet come out in 2020 called Throatbone. And then uh, subsequently um, was also judged as joint winner of the Rialto Poetry Open Pamphlet Competition. <laughs> so um, we've, we've got some awesome regulars. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was much the same but with more tinsel um, and it's, it's really grown in the time that it's been online to from this local local to specific boroughs of london to we've now got regulars from northern ireland from cornwall or from uh maine in the u.s so it's it's really nice that it's grown that much during lockdown but it's also a bit strange trying to work out does this want to go back online and back offline into real life when we're allowed or is this actually mm more useful to hear where it is is it doing what the charity wants it to do because the charity is based in Camden and Islington um, but on the other hand it, creating this international art space is also something pretty damn cool so yeah it's yeah. it's unusual but it, it 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 was yeah a good December edition and a, a good December night and also just trying to work out what that looks like looking back over yeah a year of mostly online now um, yeah i'll be so interested to see if we start getting kind of blended nights yeah uh, you know i think that'd be really good because i mean i've definitely like there have been sort of poetry slams where i've won a place in a final and then not been able to go because i've you know i've, I've, I've been i've had to be in another country at the time it was happening and it just seems like that sort of thing. It'd be so interesting to start seeing people beaming into live events and things like that. That would be a really lovely thing to have happen yeah. post-lockdown. And I sort of hope it does. But I, yeah, I yeah. appreciate the logistics of that. As someone that doesn't actually organise my own night, like I appreciate yeah. the logistics of that are difficult. So to just blithely be like, oh, we should see more of that. Is, yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. The tech requirements are obviously going to be quite different, but at the same time, mm. yeah. We have an open mic who we've seen a few times called Lee Campbell, but this time, last time in December, um, he did something which was basically a very conceptual piece of performance art with weird Zoom overlays and recorded and looped sound on Zoom, which was something that I hadn't seen anything that kind of art school happening on on, on yeah. in virtual space. So that was really cool, that I guess, because it's his tech and we just look at it like he doesn't need the night to be able to do much necessarily to be able to bring mm. that into us. So that was really cool. Um, yeah. And yeah, the other things I've been doing have been um, reading a few books that I have bought off people at nights or, or virtually having seen people at night. Um, Rosie Garland's, uh, what, I'm just checking the Rosie Garland's What Girls Do in the Dark. Um, is something that I will probably be recommending for Book of the Month when it's my turn again. I'm really, really <laughs> it. Um, and I've also been reading a book for a non-poetry book, but um, for a poetry project I have on the boil, um, and it's called Stuff: Compulsive Hoarding and the Meaning of Things um, by Randy Frost and Gail Stichetti. I believe I'm mm -hmm. pronouncing right. Um, and yeah, I have a project on the boil about objects and meaning and coming from a family of borderline hoarders 
Um, but also, like, having grown up without grandparents, that often there were objects standing in with much more vaulted status because this was your grandmother's frying pan when you don't have your grandmother. Mm. <laughs> like, um, so, yeah, I've been finding that really, really interesting as... It's written by a sort of a psychologist and a sociologist, I think, but just, yeah, background reading to really inform this slightly amorphous project that I've got on the boil and give it some really, yeah, science backing and potentially new angles for what to look at as I go. So, yeah. yeah. And how about our guest, who yeah, we've yeah. not really introduced yet, but as, in tra- as is traditional Dead Darling style, our guest has sort of been lurking in the virtual background listening to us ramble on <laughs> for god knows how long um leanne how how's your month been hi hello everyone um i've been looming that's what i do i loom and i skulk um, <laughs> and, um no um yeah it's been a weird month december um last night actually um talking about the kinds of um events that we've been allowed to go to that we wouldn't normally be able to get to um because of the technology i went to um an open mic in amsterdam uh, mm-hmm. which was really really cool and um listened to poetry from sort of across europe and sort of the united states as well so that was really lovely to be able to um have my horizons opened if that's mm-hmm. the creepier way of putting it <laughs> <laughs> but, do horizons open <laughs> no, no, no. sounds like the sort of thing that would happen with a speculum but yes it's, it's so yeah that's been really really fun I think that um throughout this year this year that's given us that's taken so much from us has also given us the opportunity to go to places and events that we wouldn't always have the opportunity to go to otherwise so that's been really interesting um and as somebody who does sometimes occasionally organize events i think there's a lot to be said for that idea of blended events um like you say mm-hmm. in america um and i think that if the arts council have got the wherewithal they ought to be putting together some uh, some funds at the moment to to get people skilled up in in all the tech because i think that that's mm-hmm. going to be really important Mm. thing going forward to give us that um space to be able to say oh and if you can't make it to the event in the basement of this pub then you can come online as well because uh for such a long time we didn't do these things because we didn't believe we could and now we know we can we can't really go backwards i don't Mm. think in terms of stuff that I've been reading, I haven't been reading much poetry this month. Um, uh, similarly, actually, to Rebecca, I've been reading a lot of YA, um, and I just finished um, The Rest of Us Just Live Here by Patrick Ness, um, yeah. which is wonderful. Um, I'd read A Monster Calls, um, mm-hmm. a brilliant book, and um, sort of uh, went into this one sort of not quite knowing what to expect, and it's sort of about the idea that... Um, you don't necessarily have to be the hero of the story in order to be an important person. Mm. Um, and I think it just is such a beautiful message. And it also has a really um, down to earth and sort of hopeful way of writing about um, sort of mental illness mm-hmm. in a way that I just found really refreshing. So um, I'm recommending it to everybody that I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, definitely get a copy awesome 
cool. Yeah, I, I, I love YA stuff so much. And I kind of, I feel like I sort of went off to university and kind of put a lot of it down and kind of read all the stuff that I thought, you know, was terribly important that I should read. And obviously, like, I read some really great stuff, but actually coming back to stuff where you're like, yeah, I, do, I, I love that genre. I don't know what it is. I think there's a kind of optimism and an energy to it that I just really enjoy. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I'm um, an absolute sucker for anything that um, John Green says is good because mm. I love them. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, so that's kind of, uh, it, it's one of those things where um, I find an author that I like and then I look at what they have said that they like and then go from there. Mm. And um, it's quite a nice way of uh, getting, getting to read things that you wouldn't normally read, I think as well. Mm. Awesome. Right, shall we do an interview? Let's do an interview. This month's interview is with Leanne Moden. Leanne Moden is a poet, performer and workshop leader based in Nottingham. She has performed at events across the UK and Europe, including WOMAD Festival, the Edinburgh Fringe, So Far Sounds, Stands in Newcastle, the Alderborough Poetry Festival, the Beverly Folk Festival and Festival on the Isle of Wight. In 2019, she performed her first solo poetry show as part of PBH's Free Fringe at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. She has been a national semi-finalist at the BBC Edinburgh Fringe Slam, as well as a finalist at Hammer and Tongue, Poetry Rivals, the Roundhouse Slam, the Axis Slam, the Superheroes of Slam and the Anti-Slam. More recently, she won the Ooh, Beehive Slam semi-final in 2020 and the Peterborough Good Shout Slam in 2019. Leanne is a founding member of the 28 Sonnets Later Poetry Collective based in East Anglia and a member of the DIY Poets and World Jam Collective. She also facilitates creative writing workshops in schools, community centres, libraries and museums and organises poetry events around the country, including the Paper Crane Poets Collective based in Beeston in Nottinghamshire. Leanne was Fenland Poet Laureate in 2013 and her first pamphlet, Liaisons, was published by Stewed Rhubarb Press in 2015. Her latest collection, Get Over Yourself, was published in July 2020 by Burning Eye Books. Leanne is currently a new associate at New Perspective Theatre. She's also part of the team at UNESCO Nottingham City of Literature and is managing projects with Writing East Midlands in 2021. So, Leanne, after that long and uh, impressive introduction. Illustrious. uh, Illustrious, that is a good word. Uh, Could you start us off with a poem? I absolutely can. Okay, Um, so this poem is called Guidelines. Uh, And it's actually from my show. Come out tonight. Come at midnight and come with us. Don't worry about what you're wearing, as long as what you're wearing is black. Come for warm bodies and sweat, spit and cigarettes, whiskey and mixers, lipstick and fishnets. Tear your tights on someone else's fingernails. Shout secrets into the speakers and throw your fists in the air. Move and twist and strut. Don't worry about how you're dancing, as long as you are dancing. The beat is only a guideline anyway. Come out tonight. Come prepared and come with us. Don't worry about what you're drinking, as long as you're drinking with us. Come for best mates and heartbreak. Vomit and glory, music and mayhem, connection, tall stories. Wear your heart like a brand new t-shirt. Don't let anyone get shit on it. Shout and screech and scream. Don't worry about how you're singing, as long as you are singing. The words are only a guideline anyway. Come out tonight. Come late and come with us. 
Don't worry about what they call you as long as they call you something. Come for black nails and tattoos. Dyed hair and scuffed shoes. Come and be whoever you choose to be. Share songs with girls you've been too scared to speak to. And scream your frustrations into someone else's shoulder blades. Laugh and cry and rage. Don't worry about how you're feeling. As long as you are feeling. Your emotions are only a guideline anyway. Remember, you are not here to impress the boys in the band, so get dancing. You are not here to sit in the corner on your own, so get dancing. You're not here unless you are at the front, so get dancing. This gig is for you. And for anyone who felt like they didn't matter, you matter. So get dancing. The beat is only a guideline anyway. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> I think there are very few things in the world that can make me long to be a teenager again, and that kind of almost did it. Oh. <laughs> cool. Um, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for that. So, yeah. So uh, one thing I always like to ask people is, how did you first get into spoken word? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, and sort of the answer, and I'm sure it's the answer for a lot of people, is kind of by accident. <laughs> um, I was always writing writing stories and poems and bits and pieces um, growing up and um, went to university and did a history degree and um, accidentally ended up going to a creative writing class as like a little extra thing because a friend of mine wanted to go. Um, and found that I really enjoyed it uh, just as something to do you know just a dabble um, a hobby and um, then after university came the inevitable period of unemployment um, and uh, during that time uh, a friend of mine started uh, driving to Norwich to go to gigs and events and things so um, I'm originally from uh, West Norfolk so about an hour and a half drive from Norwich um, but Norwich is the biggest place with stuff in it. So, um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so yeah, we started going to places and going to variety nights and going to club nights and going to um, places like the Birdcage. Yeah. Um, it's sadly yeah. closed now. I know. Birdcage, I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was the Birdcage? Beautiful little um, little place. Uh, that had basically just had a back room with their, where they would let you perform and do any sort of music, uh, poetry, uh, all, all kinds of things, really. But um, there was a night on there um, called Head Crash. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we went a couple of times because a friend of mine knew that I liked um, poetry and um, listened to all these acts doing spoken word and stuff and just really enjoyed it and sort of said offhand to a friend of mine, oh, I'd like to do that one day kind of thing. Um, and he, uh, the next time we went, put my name down on the open mic, uh, <laughs> which is like go one of two ways, right? It could be like the start of something beautiful or like the end of a friendship. <laughs> <laughs> 
luckily it was the former and like I had a little go and really enjoyed it and really enjoyed like making the connection with the audience and like hanging out with other people who were making um, stuff and creating and just really fell headfirst into the community really and never looked back <laughs> yeah it was a weird community in Norwich at that time right with like because I think a lot of the 28 sonnets later people mm-hmm. now were around in Norwich at that time is that still yeah, the case? Right. so I think um uh Russell J Turner was one of the people who um started Head Crash and I mm. want to say Cat Woodward was the other person um I don't know if that's right but I can't um... remember sorry we both we were both in Norwich at the same time <laughs> probably didn't know, can realize that uh dear darlings and if we're wrong and <laughs> but, um, but yeah it, there were there were so many great people um doing like lots of really interesting things and lots of like really diverse types of poetry as well it felt like it was a place for um experimentation in terms of spoken word it didn't feel like you know the classic um spoken word as portrayed in american movies from the 90s where everybody's just saying things that are utterly you know dense and incomprehensible there was like a real spectrum of like people doing storytelling people doing Mm. rhyming stuff people doing funny stuff people doing like super serious stuff and it was that kind of mix um that i think really um drew me in definitely Mm. possibility of it all a lot of your poems, I think I first came across you via Faye Roberts and some of the Cambridge things, I think, yeah. Um, and I think I was first introduced to you as Fenland Poet Laureate. Um, you often have a sort of strong sense of place in your pieces. Um, how do you go about trying to capture a place? Did, did you plan it or does it just sort of turn out like that? Yeah, that's such an interesting question um, because I don't plan it at all it just sort of happens um to me and I think it's because for me one of the things that I'm really interested in is place um the history of a place the community of a place how place ties to um our sort of interpersonal relationships Mm -hmm. um And I'm always really, um, I feel like I'm always like sort of knee deep in a, in a place when I live there or when I'm sort of passing through. So, um, for me, it seemed like the natural thing to write about is, um, personhood in relation to place. Um, and even in the places that I've lived that I haven't necessarily enjoyed or appreciated is maybe the better term, um, I still think that there's a lot of interesting stuff to mine in terms of how we as people and how me as an individual relates to the world around me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think it does. I think it does. Because I think what was interesting sort of you know, reading Get Over Yourself, because obviously a lot of that seems to be about kind of growing up, teenage years, and mm. that there are things in that which are very recognisable even though they're very clearly about a particular place or a particular, what it's like to grow up in this particular place and where you go for the nights out and that kind of thing. But at the same time, even if you grew up somewhere else, there's a kind of, you know, that feeling, even if your place was very different, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things about poetry is that you can, in ta- in zoning in on something really specific, um, you can speak to sort of mm. universal emotions, maybe. Um, and a lot of the poems in the book, not all of them, but um, a number of them were sort of written around um, growing up in rural um, West Norfolk in the early 2000s um, just because that was what I was writing in 2018 um, around my show so uh, it was yeah a lot of those poems are about that landscape um, and there's a poem about Cambridge in the book as well mm-hmm. um, and there's also quite a few poems that sort of delve into this idea of um what nottingham means to me as well which is where i live now nottingham so you're now working with the unesco city of literature how does your emphasis on place feed into that how do you yeah yeah um so so i work with um nottingham city of literature um as an admin person so a lot of the time my role is to facilitate um other writers um and other projects um sort of coming together and um but obviously you will as you will all know whenever you're doing something at work uh, a lot of times it will filter into the kinds of things that you're writing about and the kinds of things that you're interested in yourself mm-hmm. um, so a lot of the work that I'm doing at the moment um, centres around um, the ideas of of what Nottingham is as a city and what it is as a community. Um, and it's very different from um, where I grew up, obviously, because it's a city um, and because it's uh, a city in the Midlands. So I'm really interested in, at the moment in this sort of post-industrial kind of um, feeling uh, among sort of the people of Nottingham and how that feeds into what happens in the city today. So, um, yeah, it's very different from the sort of rural, arable sort of, um, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting social issues that have very different roots in a city as compared with, you know, in the middle of the Fens. Um, yeah. How would it? How how do you think you would describe uh, Nottingham's kind of poetry community? Um, I mean, it'd be interesting to know just purely for myself about how it compares to Norwich from from those from those older days. Yeah. So so the interesting thing I think um, it's it's difficult to compare because I feel like I'm very embedded in the Nottingham mm. uh, scene in a way that I was sort of an outsider to Norwich. Mm. Um, when you sort of jump in and come to something once a month, you don't necessarily get to see the workings of it. You just get to see, oh, this is a lovely community that I just sort of drop in on, mm. you know. Um, whereas with Nottingham, because it's such um, a big place and such a diverse city as well, um, it's interesting to see how there are lots of pockets of um, different types of spoken word communities. It mm. seems like it's um, a place where there are, yeah, lots lots of different groups. Um, and while there is some crossover, um, there are lots of people for whom like one um, night is the night that they go to and uh, in a way it feels like the kind of um, communities that you perhaps get in the bigger cities like Manchester and London where there's so much going on that 
people can't get to everything so people sort of pick and choose their their nights and so the nights have like really interesting unique personalities obviously none of that has happened in 2020 and um it's all been a bit sort of poetically barren um which is really sad but I'm really hopeful that you know once we get out the other side of all this business um things will be, be popping up again and one of the nice things about Nottingham as well is that it's a it's a young city and it's got two really creative universities so um in the five years I've been there I've seen a lot of nights and events and experiences sort of pop up and mm. then maybe recede and then something else pops up in its place so it's quite a sort of vibrant um place as well which is I think really cool and really good for the sort of poetic ecology it's a bit of a wanky way of terming it <laughs> you know what I mean yeah it's really yeah. funny um last not last uh, year now god it's what year are we on 2021 <laughs> so in 2019 I went up to the fringe and was just kind of looking for things to go and see in my usual way of kind of just turning up to the fringe and see letting the fringe happen to me rather than the other way around um I remember, Leanne, you tweeted about DIY poets being there yeah. uh, from Nottingham. So I like saw them in the pub uh, handing out flyers, mentioned your name. I was like, oh, Leanne mentioned your show. And they were all like, oh, Leanne, great. You know, Leanne. like suddenly everybody's like, like, I don't know, just like as soon as you like let in that you know someone in 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 the Nottingham uh community it's suddenly like they just they just all like grabbed you and adopted you under their wing as well DIY poets um they yeah. are when I moved to Nottingham I didn't know anybody we moved um for my partner's job so it was sort of a last minute thing um and I just put into google poetry in Nottingham and uh-huh. went to the first thing that came up and it thank god it was the DIY poets because they were so welcoming. Uh, the moment that I went through the door, they were like, oh, are you a poet? We're all poets. Come and be poets with us. And it was just the <laughs> yeah. thing. And I think that that is kind of the attitude that characterises Nottingham in general, is this sort of like um, a sort of friendly lack of airs and graces. Mm-hmm. Um, and having, having come from, at that point, uh, down in Cambridge where, you know, it's it's practically illegal for people to talk to each other in the street um then coming to Nottingham and having so many people just go oh hi how's it going just on the bus or in the queue things it's uh there's something very um like cheerful and hopeful and lovely about that yeah we immediately like chatted for about half an hour and I walked away with two pamphlets that I hadn't bought it was nuts (laughs) 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 in the nicest nicest way yeah I mean so I I was actually born in Nottingham and lived there till I was about 10 Mm. and yeah my memory is living in a house where people were just always popping in and out yeah and then we we moved to the countryside and I thought that that was just oh that's what cities are like and then when I moved to London no people don't just pop in and out that's Mm -hmm. that's definitely a Nottingham thing people would just be like hi I pop round want a cup of tea I don't think anybody's ever popped around to me. <laughs> oh, well, you know, once once the plague is over, once the well. plague is over, we'll do that. So yeah, so kind of thinking about that idea of place, um, you've kind of been the the Fenland poet laureate, and we were just really curious about what it's like to work in a kind of official capacity like that, 
and how how can you balance writing authentically with writing on commission or sort of representing others how does that work as a poet Mm, that's a really interesting question. Um, in terms of the Fenland Poet Laureate ship, um, it kind of is um, not quite the right question to ask because although it sounds like a very official title, um, the fact is it was um, a competition um, by a local arts organisation. And once you then had the role, um, there was no money attached. Um, but that was in a way quite a lovely thing because it meant that you could do whatever you wanted with the role mm. for the year mm. um and you are in a, an official capacity but you don't you're not really you're not beholden to anyone so you True. can just do with what you like with it so um I started a night um called Fenspeak which still runs to this day hello Fenspeak mm-hmm. if you're listening oh that's um, the one Beth Hartley runs isn't it yeah, absolutely. They're really, really lovely people. Um, and uh, yeah, did did a lot of um, sort of using, like cheekily using the name to to say, oh, I'm the Fenland Poet Laureate. Can I come and do a workshop? With you? And making it sound like really grand and people were like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And just getting into places and, and sort of elbowing my way into things. But um, yeah, in terms of when you are doing something to commission for money in a transactional way, um, which is something that I've been doing sort of more and more recently, um, I think that there's there's a real balancing act in terms of making sure that you're not doing something that you know goes against your voice goes against your values um and some of that is making sure that you don't apply for things that you know Mm. uh, go against your values so for example if it was you know an arms dealer who wanted a poem I probably (laughs) (laughs) just just to sort of self-select out of those kinds of things um but also you know I think it's really important to um give yourself the time and space if you can to find an angle that works for you as a writer that also works for the um people that you're writing for I think one of the really interesting things about writing to commission is a lot of times people will commission you to write a poem and they don't really know what they want Mm -hmm. um, they definitely know what they don't want and uh, (laughs) you have to sort of sometimes you do have to go through iterations with an organization in order to get something that works for you both mm-hmm. um and you as an artist have to be aware of that and have to reconcile yourself to the fact that perhaps this isn't necessarily what I would have written if I'd had free reign um but um equally you have to be in a position where you say this is what I will do and this is what I won't do kind mm-hmm. of thing um and I'm really uh conscious that um I want poems that I do to commission to feel like they're my poems first and foremost mm-hmm. um so there have been instances in the past where I've tried to work with a company and we haven't been able to reach something that works for both sides and I think that it's okay as an artist to be aware that that is sometimes the outcome of these things um, and to not be stymied by that because first and foremost you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror Mm -hmm. you know Um, 
but yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting process. But I like to think of um, commissions as a way of um, getting like nice, interesting prompts that you wouldn't get otherwise to be mm. in a position where you go, well, I'd never normally write about, you know, a flying pig. So this is a really interesting, you know, commission for me. Um, and that helps me to, you know, write outside my own comfort zone and also to uh, be able to put food on the table really so so uh so one of the other things that you, you do a lot of is facilitating workshops i feel like i i'm for, i'm always seeing you advertising workshops you seem to be one of the busiest workshop facilitators around um and um so what's it like facilitating workshops for poets and for people who are new to poets and how do you introduce a workshop of, of non-poetry people to writing poetry Mm, yeah um I really enjoy um facilitating workshops it's one of the things that um for me is like one of my one of my favorite parts of of being a working poet um and for you know especially working with people who perhaps haven't come across poetry very often in their lives or perhaps have you know been put off it maybe by the school system um and in those cases a lot of what I like to do is to sneak it in so um uh for example we've recently completed a project we were working with um older people in care homes with uh, experiences of dementia mm. and a lot of what we did there was um, talking about nursery rhymes, talking about stories, fairy tales, um, talking about the kinds of, you know, the kinds of stories that they were interested in. Like there was one lady, for example, who was absolutely a great fan of soap opera. So we talked about that as well. And it's sort of moving from the kinds of things that people are comfortable with into then introducing, you know, a little bit of rhyme perhaps or a little bit of um, putting something together as a group poem and just being really gradual about it with um, groups who, if you turned up on the first day and were said, we're going to write a poem and they'd all go, no, I don't think so, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and what I really like is to um, give people the time and the space to sort of express themselves creatively and whether that comes out as a poem that's you know worthy of a you know a prize or not is kind of irrelevant because I think that for me poetry is first and foremost an, an idea about how we um, understand ourselves and understand the world and process the world mm -hmm. um, so if I can help people to find that in themselves, then that feels like a good thing to do, you know? Yeah. And do you find it kind of informs your own work? Yeah, so much. Yeah, no, it's um, not always, but a lot of times I find that other people's stories are just this really interesting sort of um, ground for inspiration for like jumping off points to then talk about um issues and things that are important to me or things that I want to um explore further you know and um one of my favorite things is is going into a group and sort of saying to them by the end of this course or whatever you'll have written a poem about 
something that's important to you, something about you that's interesting and unique. And the amount of times that people will say, oh, there's nothing interesting, nothing interesting has ever happened to me. And yeah. then in the same breath, they will tell you the most outrageous, <laughs> outlandish story or like the most incredible thing that's happened to them. And then you go, well, why can't you write about that? And they're like, well, you know, that's not poetry, is it? I'm like, of course everything can be poetry and that I think is it's getting over that mindset of what people think poetry should be Mm. and sort of click that off then you get some really great work out of you know the majority of people I think there's also something about giving yourself permission to write as well which I think is very easy to take for granted when you do write a lot Mm -hmm. that actually other people kind of have this idea of oh no there are writers and then there are people like me who just use words to communicate like I see a friend of mine who is a um a management consultant and has always been very kind of just would describe herself as quite pragmatic and practical and would sort of say oh aren't you creative in in that way where it kind of feels a bit part mystified part put down mm. and then recently we were on a video call and she's like so I've realized I want to write a story Mm-hmm. how do how do I do that well, and I was like okay you just do it like and and I kind of you know I sort of gave us some exercise and stuff but it, it is that that real hurdle of sort of saying somebody you know you're allowed to do this right you are the type of person who can do this mm-hmm. because anybody is the type of person yeah. you know yeah absolutely and also I think because it's traditionally something that while it is productive um it doesn't feel like it's you know, traditional work in that you do something, then you receive payment for it. (laughs) When you are a writer, you do the writing uh, with no intention or any sort of even idea that you might at some point in the distant future have some sort of, yeah, you know, uh, payment in exchange for it. And that, I think, to some people makes it sort of feel inherently less valuable in a way that you have to sort of go to them well maybe the process itself is the valuable part Mm. and when you can get that through to people and sort of show them and guide them through the process and go this is great isn't it you know we're having a great time and then anything that comes afterwards that's just a bonus right um and I think that yeah there are for a lot of people there are if they can't see the reward or the benefit straight away then that is some sort of mental block I think Mm, sure one time I was on a retreat um with with several other writers and one of the writers a little bit older kept having this attitude of oh I don't know if if I've got anything worthy of saying or anything to write about and it took at least two days before it, it emerged that they were a surgeon wow. and you go you're a surgeon you've got to have stories you've got to have interesting things to say just by dint of being a surgeon and then they were going to go on first dates the tv show and it was like how do you think you've got nothing interesting to say you're a surgeon who's going on first dates you you're going to get you know you're allowed well i think so this idea of you know like only certain stories are worth telling and mm. I think that's a really dangerous sort of mythos um of saying you know you can only really write a story 
in which your protagonist is a writer. I hate that. Mm. If everyone's only writing about their own navels and people go, oh, shoot, my navel doesn't look like that, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and you get stuff like um, I'm trying to remember which writer it is, and I can't for life remember which writer it is. But there was a, a, a Caribbean writer who was sort of talking about kids in the Caribbean in the sort of sixties who wrote poems about snow on the sugarcane fields mm. because all they'd read were the sort of the English romantics writing about the English countryside, mm. and they had no fucking clue what a daffodil was, um, and they thought poems had to have snow in them to be worthy of being poems. Yeah. Mm. Um, and yeah, yeah. That, that really dangerous idea of of one person's narrative is 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 the is worthy of art. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one thing that kind of struck me about your work, um, and, and I think this is this is coming from my own kind of like, how do you do that? <laughs> is a, a, a lot of your poems rhyme, and like rhyming poems, I I, don't, I think it's it's often it's kind of people's way into poetry and I think a lot of people have this idea of like oh poems have to rhyme mm. actually rhyming poetry is fucking hard and it isn't really the place to start um mm. and yeah and, and it's something that I think you, you you a lot of your poems work with very well and I was just wondering are there any particular challenges you find to working with rhyme and and what what advice would you offer other poets mm, it's a good question and I think that um for me it was a way in um to do to do rhyme I think when I started writing poetry particularly writing poetry for performance it mm. was all rhyming couplets it was all sort of stuff with jokes in it was and and that was basically through um a, a sort of almost a lack of self-confidence personally um thinking well if I put a joke in here and people laugh that means that they're paying attention you know <laughs> Um, it's taken me a long time to get to a place where I feel like I can write things that um, don't have any laughs in them or like any any sort of um, twiddly bits where the audience have to you know respond um, to trust the audience to to be there on the journey with me Um, so I think that there's something really interesting in in using rhyme as a as a tool for um humor um and that's that's primarily what I like to use it for is to is to help with um with the rhythm and the and the humor and to be able to remember them um mm-hmm. easier as well so uh those are all a bit sort of like mercenary and pragmatic as uh, <laughs> as reasons but um one of the things that um, really helped me when I was sort of um, starting out was um, just going on Wikipedia and finding um, like different forms like sonnets, villanelles, all these forms that include rhyme um, and just sort of practicing them myself at home uh, in in my bedroom uh, in a way that doesn't sound weird. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, having not had the... Um, the sort of academic um, in um, not being taught the the, the formal rhyme structures, um, mm. I found them um, quite comforting as sort of scaffolding to hang what I wanted to say on. Mm. Um, so sometimes if I've got something that I'd like to talk about, but I don't quite know how I'm going to get there. Um, I start off by writing it as a sonnet because it's a it's a form that I'm really comfortable with um and oftentimes my practice is um really odd in that I will like write a poem 
and when it's done go okay that's not quite what I wanted to say and then rewrite it in another form or rewrite it um but without every other line or just like really get weirdly experimental with the structure and maybe rewrite a poem three or four times in order Mm. to get to the place where I say what I want to say in the way that I want to say it which is not efficient in any way (laughs) (laughs) and I definitely wouldn't necessarily recommend it as a way of doing things but it works for me Mm. you know and what I often find is that the poems that work in form are not necessarily the poems that work on stage um, mm. and I think that's okay um, it doesn't matter that your the poem that you end up writing doesn't necess- isn't necessarily a poem that's going to be performed out loud that's okay you can have poems that you send off to competitions instead you can have poems that you once you've written them you just go ha huh, that's the poem and then never look at it again yeah. <laughs> the for me the thing that really helped me to get into a place where I'm I'm writing sort of a bit more regularly is to realize that you know not every poem you write will be a masterpiece and that's okay and it's better to write something than to get all in your head about it and write nothing for months and months so interesting and that maybe leads us into your book which is get over yourself see what we did there like getting over the getting (laughs) over the internal voice no okay tell us about get over yourself Um, Yeah, so this is um, a collection of poems that have been written between sort of 2015 and 2019. Um, And uh, as as we said, I think a little bit earlier, their poems, uh, a lot of them are about sort of growing up, um, finding yourself. Uh, A lot of the poems are about exclusion and belonging. And um, that was really interesting, actually, as a theme, because I don't know if you guys have this, but I have this thing where I write for a couple of years and then sort of look back on the poems of those years and realise that I've essentially been writing about the same theme in different ways. And in my first collection, it was I was writing about being a woman and womanhood and femininities. Um, and in this collection, it's it's really been about that idea of sort of finding your place in the world and and belonging and and what it means to be a part of something. And sort of all those ideas around place and community and and teenagehood and um, music all sort of feed into that idea of of what it means to be to belong um yeah and also obviously having been a teenage emo it just that that made sense uh oh on on the get out of get over yourself uh front leanne how for people who haven't read it because we've sort of been talking about it in quite broad themes what's your sort of elevator pitch (laughs) you need to read this book it's (laughs) i'm really bad at these um because like the problem the problem with being a poet is that it's sort of it's maybe 50 percent um doing the writing and then 50 percent being like a good pr person for yourself and i've got this real problem of like putting things out into the world and going oh i'm i like this i'm proud of this and then when somebody going oh i'd like to read that i go oh no don't read it oh god (laughs) Right, but with all that said, <laughs> you should you should read it. 
um it's uh, i can read actually what um what jess green says about it because yeah. then i and it's somebody else saying something and that makes me feel okay yeah. <laughs> so um so jess green is a poet based in leicester um she's won loads of awards um she's great um and she had this to say about get over yourself <laughs> Uh, Leanne has a razor sharp eye for detail and a turn of phrase that will stay with you these poems are joyous uplifting and filled with lines that jump out and grab you by the heart (laughs) sorry this isn't the end of the thing but I feel like we should let people know where can they get hold of get over yourself so um, you can get it from Burning Eye Books' website. Um, you can also get it directly from me. Um, and my website is leannemoden.com. And then if you just click on shop, it takes you straight through. And you've also uh, recorded it as an audio download, um, which is how I listened to it, because I realized I wouldn't have time to get the book delivered. So I wanted to ask you, Leanne, how you kind of, sort of what inspired you to record it and how you found the experience of of recording a poetry audiobook at home mm. um so what inspired me is um sort of very um very broadly a friend of mine who um is visually impaired said oh I'd really like to read your book but obviously I can't read the paperback can you record it for me and I was like of course that sounds like a brilliant idea um and 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 sort of went ahead and um took myself off to my attic with um a blanket over my head and my (laughs) did it did it in one or two goes and uh, it's it's surprising how um quickly you get like the most terrible sore throat when you have to read like Mm -hmm. so poems out loud to yourself <laughs> um but yeah I think that it it for me having that accessibility was really important and and being able to um allow people to to have the poems in a different format and also I think because um the kinds of stuff that I write is quite um sort of written obviously for um for speaking aloud and for, and for the stage mm of the page so it just made sense to have an audio version Mm. um it's been people have been quite sort of receptive to it as well so that's been really nice there there have been quite a few people who who've downloaded it which is which is really lovely so hopefully um it's something that i'll sort of continue to do in the future sort of have as as sort of companion pieces because i think that there's something really um lovely about being able to give people that choice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely and on to the future you've got a show called Git, Git, Git coming up um can you tell us a bit more about it and it is a does, how does that theater work interact with your poetry yeah, so um, I started writing Skip, Skip, Skip in 2018, um, and I took a work in progress version of it to the Edinburgh Fringe in 2019. Um, I'm now in the process of working with uh, a director and a musician and a producer to um, try and make it, you know, a bit more theatery. Um, what I did when writing it um I wrote it as sort of a challenge to myself because I'd never written anything that was over sort of three minutes long so I thought maybe I could just do an hour why not you know yeah 
um, you know, if you're going to challenge yourself, you might as well go the whole hog. Um, but the resulting first draft of the script was very um, one person stationary at a microphone sort of telling you a story, which I think worked reasonably well in terms of an Edinburgh Fringe show. But what I would like to do, because the show is um, a about music and about how musical subcultures sort of help us define who we are and 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 find ourselves um, as as young people. I thought that the show needed to be able to express its themes and its contents through um, sort of a multidisciplinary lens. Um, so again, as a challenge to myself, I sort of thought, well, if you could make it into something that incorporates um, music and movement and theatrical gubbins mm-hmm. um, that would be really cool um so the story is is sort of vaguely autobiographical and it's about um a young woman growing up in rural west norfolk in 2002 mm-hmm. um and the trials and tribulations of you know, being part of a musical subculture. In this case, it was um, being a teenage goth um, in that era. So very much your sort of new metal and pop mm-hmm. punk and the beginnings of emo and all that kind of business. Um, and how that um, sort of allows us a way into a community and also an exclusion from like a wider community so there's sort of themes of social isolation um themes of um sort of rural um isolation as well and uh there's quite a lot of like uh shouting and swearing in it as well which is always fun um and yeah it's it's been a it's been a really interesting um piece to sort of dive into and explore those memories and feelings um in a sort of creative way so I've re- I'm really enjoying the process at the moment I'm working on turning it into like a half an hour audio only sort of podcast piece um mm-hmm. record festival which is in February I think um and I've I've spent yesterday or the day before um like recording myself spitting into a sink for <laughs> so that's kind of the level that we're working with <laughs> what festival did you say it was living record festival oh. so it's an online digital um festival for um theater makers um and it's yeah it's gonna be really cool i think i think that was our last question yeah uh, where can people find out more about you Okay, so um, you can find me on um, Twitter, uh, on Facebook. Um, it's Leanne Moden Poet. Um, you can also find me on my website, which is leannemoden.com. Um, Amazing. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. In our writing tip section, normally we ask one of our favourite poets for a piece of writing advice or a prompt which you can use in your own work. Uh, this month, because the book we've chosen, How to Be a Poet by Joe Bell and Jane Comain, is full of writing tips, we thought we'd share one of those for you. So this is from uh, chapter 17 of the book. This is about submitting to magazines and journals and this is joe bell's own method that she uses for sending um, poems off and the reason i've chosen this is because she 
structures the chapter by saying, okay, let's imagine we're starting on January the 1st and sort of explains how you should sort of think about it throughout the year. And as we're at the beginning of January, um, people may well be making New Year's resolutions to send more poems off. I thought this would be a good place to start. Uh, So actually the big big bit of advice that she has is send the blighters off. Because she points out that whilst not everyone who sends off who sends work off will get it published, I can guarantee that everyone who gets work published has sent it off. <laughs> so yeah, it's a big bit of advice. If you want to get published, send your work to people. So what she does is she imagines starting at the beginning of January with um, a table or a database with four columns, which um, she sort of recommends doing on the computer so you can copy and paste things. Um, so the first column is available. Uh, and puts the title of all the different poems in there that she kind of you know wants to use as, as poems that she will send out to magazines. The second one is in circulation, third one is published, and the fourth one is date when available again. So, um, so yeah, you've got your poems in that first column, and then when you've sent a poem off to somewhere, you move it into the next column in circulation, and then just put in brackets where you've sent it to. And then if it gets if it's getting published, you put it there. And then the date when available again, you put in the date where you know, either the winners are going to be announced or you should have heard back from them. And that way you can then move on and send it on to new uh, to new magazines and just kind of just keep going. And uh, yeah, it helps you keep track of you know who you've sent poems to, when you can send them off to somebody else. Uh, and she kind of talks about whether or not you should submit simultaneously. Uh, spoilers, don't do it, is her advice. Uh, but yeah, just to keep updating this, this um, spreadsheet, and just being very systematic about how you're sending the poems off and who you're sending them off to. So yeah, so that was a writing tip from How to Be a Poet, which we're going to chat about in the book club section. Now it's time for our book of the month. And this month, it's How to Be a Poet by Joe Bell, Jane Kamein, and other guest writers. It was chosen by Rebecca. So Rebecca, why did you choose this book? Uh, I chose this book just because I thought it would be a bit different. I've been reading... um, a couple of different sort of uh, how to write poetry type books. The other one was um, uh, How to Grow Your Own Poem by Kate Clanchy. And I just thought it'd be interesting that as well as talking about um, sort of the the poetry books that people are publishing, um, also I thought listeners might find it useful to know about some of the books that are out there that are kind of guides to writing poems. So this one actually Laurie gave me uh, a couple of years ago as a birthday present. And yeah, I just found it really good, really insightful, really useful. And so yeah, I thought, share the love. Um, share the gift around so yeah what did you guys make of it is is it worth at this point admitting before we start that we haven't necessarily gotten through all of it yeah because why not it is it's been christmas we've been busy and i'm up to page 117 it's pages and unlike a poetry pamphlet it's a a lot fatter and b like the lines go all the way to the end of the page um I didn't really know how to read it for a long time. I spent most of these 117 pages going, what? Why? Where's all the white space? Right. (laughs) But also, we decided it fairly close to recording time and then had to order it online and, yeah, get it to us. So, I've yeah, I've been tearing through it and really, really enjoying it, but I am about halfway on the dot. Having having read the whole thing, I can say it's not like a kind of Game of Thrones left turn towards the end of the chapter. Do you know what I mean? It's not suddenly going to be like, ah, oh, that was a lot of character development. Surprise! In it's actually how to write prose. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. Um, no, it, it, it continues. I think in in the same kind of same tone and style and uh, yeah, qu- level of quality in in the first bit of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
to, to the end. I think what I'm enjoying about it most being just over halfway through it is that it is not a book that is here is how to write poetry it's not how to write poetry it's how to be a poet so it's very practical in the kind of things that it's exploring and they're not all to do with here is what a sonnet looks like here is what a gaza looks like it's how to you know make enough money to live how to submit your poems for publication why you should keep a day job things like that like very practical um advice on the craft of being a poet rather than the craft of making words work on a page even though that is a part of it it's a it's a broader sphere than that yeah and it tends to it's got it's sort of unlike the i mean there's i have read a few how-to books and there are some which i found uh so like stephen king's on writing i thought was absolutely awesome mm. and there's some others that i found um oh, bird by bird by Anne Lamott i really liked there's another one that i'm forgetting the name of right now which is just as well because i'm going to shit talk it um <laughs> um it was I think it was just very much aimed more at someone who is starting considering putting a pen to paper and it mm. was much more, you could write something, which is a really useful stage as well. But I feel like for, for us loudmouths and presumably quite a lot of the listeners who are writing as well, I feel like this is a, a much more, this is a really useful, we assume you're already writing. Here's how to do it better. Here's how to own it. Here's how to, think about the process of editing sending things off yeah it's it's much more assumes you're ready in the flow and want to polish up Mm. it's a bit more nose for the grindstone and a Mm. bit less airy fairy what is a poem (laughs) (laughs) there's something really useful i think in in being able to say it's okay to treat poetry seriously and this Mm probably says a lot of that of going you need to treat it seriously if you, if you want to get on is that right yeah yeah so. i think there's yeah i think and i think often when people say oh take it seriously there's this idea of like i don't know taking taking something too seriously or being pompous with it and i think that's not always that's that's not always what taking something seriously means yeah. do you know what i mean i think, I think there's a temptation that you're like oh I'm, i don't take myself too seriously like actually take yourself seriously get where you want to go do what you want to do that doesn't have that doesn't mean being pompous or difficult or yeah uh, yeah there's, and, and i think okay. it's practical yeah there's always this danger isn't there of when you when you want to be ambitious with something of people going oh but it's creative isn't it so you know it feels like sometimes people don't think that ambition and creativity match up and Mm. and maybe this book is saying they can and they should yeah there's there's quite there's one guest chapter i'm flipping through at the minute oh yeah got it um there's one guest chapter written by who is it flip 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 um written by robert peak which specifically has a bit um on don't try to be baudelaire don't pretend you're byron don't think that by being a flamboyant miserable asshole burning mm. yourself out and fucking up everyone around you <laughs> that that's <laughs> you a more serious artist and i think mm. it's in that same chapter that he's got um I, I assume it's this chapter as well that there's a leonard cohen quote that um 
the uh if if you're living well that poetry is just the ash yeah yeah it's the same uh yeah it's that same chapter yeah. uh, and it, uh the quote is poetry is just evidence of life if your life is burning well poetry is just the ash in a which he doesn't mean in a terms of like just live your life and it'll happen <laughs> but in a more um the, the more things you're interested in the more things you do that will all feed into your work and also that you don't want to burn yourself out and be a dickhead and then say that makes you more artistic it's an interesting one that um it's it's chapter 13 in the book it's a guest guest one of the guest chapters by robert peak um who i'm not familiar with at all um i know joe bell i've done a couple of poetry takeaway gigs with her i don't know jane kermain at all um clive bernie or joel yeah clive yeah, but I did, wasn't familiar with Robert at all. Um, but I found that one chapter particularly interesting. I think because of the stuff that you're saying, Hannah, I think as well it talks a lot about how poetry is in a different economy to our capitalist economy yeah. with different values and different aims. Mm -hmm. And going back to what Liam was saying earlier, you know, the process is the payoff um, mm. a lot of the time in poetry in a way that it is that we are taught not to kind of be receptive to. We're taught mm. to be more receptive to things being transactional and things being um, Successful commodified. Product. Yeah. Mm. yeah, product. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, although having a book is nice, for example, it's nice because of the process of making a book not because you have a product to sell like mm. um so i think that's a particularly interesting part of that chapter yeah um, and i also like how even in that same chapter it's talk it talks about um it talks about how even though those economies are different you still need to respect the other one so mm. um for example it's saying if even if you for example if you're an editor um you should still be you, you even if you don't love capitalism you should be charging uh decent market rates for your services because otherwise it's a big race to the bottom for the people who are making their living as editors yeah. which i thought was an interesting point yeah it's about valuing what you do i think yeah mm. and that also i feel like like Liam, when we asked when we asked you to describe your book and then you grab for someone else's quote, I feel like it's often a lot easier to sort of advocate for each other than to advocate for yourself. But actually, if you go, if I work for nothing, no poet can make a living doing this. Mm. That actually yeah. is quite a good reason to advocate for yourself as well. <laughs> and it's a book which teaches a lot about respect for fellow poets and people working in um in the poetry world like going back to what you were saying rebecca about that poetry tip about don't submit to multiple publications mm -hmm. um it goes on to talk about one of the reasons for that is because uh, i think it's in one of jane Kermain's chapters um is she's saying as an editor if i want to i want to award you the prize or the publication and then i find out that you have submitted it elsewhere um and we can't take it then it's not only me that me as the editor that it's impacting it's impacting all the other submissions as well because maybe i've rejected them already mm -hmm. and maybe i've um picked people who are going to complement 
your work and vice versa. Um, I think mm. this the kind of one of the running threads is to make you more aware of the context in which you operate as a poet, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. But there, there are also some really kind of good sort of practical writing tips about one thing mm. I really like about this book is in um, one of the chapters by Joe Bell, she's got kind of sort of how to find polish the poem. So not just your second draft, but kind of third, seventh and 53rd draft. Mm. Um, and what she does actually, which I think is really um quite brave is kind of put a draft of one of her her own poems in yeah and then across the page she puts in the published version yeah and then she talks about some of the changes she made and why she made the changes and you know what she thinks it does and you know whether or not she kind of regrets cutting some lines out or and that kind of thing and, and lets you compare and I think that's really helpful actually because mm. sometimes when you're sat going I know this poem needs to be polished but what can I lose and what should I be losing and mm. to, to to kind of see where other writers are doing it because I think it's quite easy to believe that even though you know that other writers edit and polish mm-hmm. you kind of have this idea that it probably did spring fully formed from nowhere and you know yeah. it, it really was just about moving the commas around or the line breaks yeah and, so yeah. I was um emailing a um friend of mine who'd who had sent me a couple of poems the day before I properly started reading the book and she was saying, I just feel like um, she she was saying, I feel like to to quote unquote real poets, it it's all hap- it all happens organically, and it's not happening that way for me. So I don't know uh, if I should be continuing basically to oh, no. to write. Um, and I wrote a very long rambly email back that basically said, no, that's that's nonsense. And then I opened the book and they uh, through things like the section that you've just talked about Rebecca they put it way more succinctly <laughs> and way more eloquently than I put it in my email back but absolutely yeah. it's it's not I think it's a book that refutes that idea mm-hmm. and it's, it's such an easy thing to believe but also I also feel like if that's the mark of a real poet where everything just happens organically I probably don't know that many real poets no. if I'm honest and, and I, I prefer the pretend poets that I do know there's, there's one chapter which I realised that I put so many little sticky notes on that I just stuck a big different colour note at the top. I was like, this one, this is a chapter you really want. <laughs> I've, done, I've done that. This bit's the most yeah. important bit about 15 times and I'm only about halfway through the, per- the book. Um, but chapter 10 on the second draft just had so many good... Like, I'm not sure... I'm not sure if I learned as much on this one because I feel like it was speaking to my existing prejudices. But... Um, mm. Actually, tell like I got some I got some new terminology. So like from having read, read Stephen King's book on writing, I know that adverbs are satanic. <laughs> and to be afforded every opportunity, he had Stephen King have the example of someone who used zestily in every single mm. thing. I was just like, what the fuck is that word doing there? Why? Um, it makes me feel a bit dirty. <laughs> but yeah, I, I learned a few more terminologies. The way we don't, you know, learn. <laughs> it's not so you're learning a foreign language that you necessarily learn some of the. Um, specifics like i hadn't really thought about gerunds but yeah no absolutely getting rid of ing endings um anyway um but this this chapter especially had a quote from the uh solstein who i had not heard of before but i absolutely love it um that sex has to be good for both partners that is the key to writing it has to be a good experience for both partners the writer and the reader it is a source of distress to me to observe how frequently writers ignore the pleasure of their partners and i feel like a lot of us like 
personally, I have I have a quite a lot of side eye for. I wrote this on the way here. No, I don't edit. I don't edit. It's just it's just naturally the way it falls out. <laughs> to be fair, I do know one or two really damn good writers who do that. Like Amy Leon describes her work as like jazz, and she sort of comes up with it as she's going. And her work is incredible. I don't know how she does it. Yeah, and I mean, we have interviewed Jamir early, who does improv poetry, but yeah. at the same time. I, I get, you know, when we were talking to him about how he does hone how he improvs. Do you know what right. I mean? It's not just... Yeah, improv is this skill. Is improv yeah. is a huge skill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, yeah, I have a lot of side eye for people who I think should edit and don't. But I think describing it as you being a bad shag is a really good way of <laughs> crap. Being like, do you want to be a bad shag? Nah, didn't think so. Fucking work on it. Um, the, pro- the, the thing about the book is uh, you can pick it up at any point any page mm. and have, and there'll be something that leaps out at you i think like the that, that uh quote is is on the page before such great pieces of advice as be wary of lines which use florid description or make a neat classical reference but are really there to show how clever you are yeah. i can think of several poets right now <laughs> who i would give that piece of advice to and then in the same paragraph when the poet can't let go of something that had personal meaning but which makes no sense to the reader as well and i think we've all done that at some point you've got that detail that is like oh yeah and that was there and someone goes i don't know what that means you're like oh yeah i think that was a mini revelation that there is a bit in this there is a bit in this book where it kind of says okay just because that's how the story happened, that's not necessarily the best way to tell this story in your poem. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it didn't happen to you, but say it happened to you because that's going to tell the story better. Or, you know. Yeah. Well, it's about um, being truthful rather than being accurate, mm. right? It's about you can change that one piece of detail if it helps with the story, mm. if it helps with what you're trying to say. And makes for a more interesting poem than change the little detail that is inconsequential, like the name of a character, for example. I guess that that's an, that's a good piece of advice, and that's the thing about this book—you can open it anywhere, and there's loads of great advice. It does feel like um, listening in on a conversation with a bunch of really nice, supportive people saying really incisive, interesting things, like. Mm just at any point uh, and it's full of recommendations as well like oh you should listen to this or you should look out for this it is also really nice yeah i love where the book starts being basically a big recommendation that goes on for about three chapters and that's not to criticize it um the chapters are actually all quite short in the book the, the recommendation being read more poetry that if you open the the uh front cover on the in inner inside cover it just says read poetry in massive letters yeah. and then at the back it's got a load of recommendations for kind of resources um mm. sort of you know workshops literary funds um yeah and kind of some kind of like top 10 tips and things like that as well mm. yeah um, and we also want to say i think you know this is not a book by people who don't know what they're talking about <laughs> like it's a book by two very established people joe bell's been going for a long time done a lot of um a lot of great work and you know amazing credentials and jane kamane runs um nine arches press so they're people who know what they're talking about mm. <laughs> and, it and it's worth checking out nine arches press because they do some really like really interesting um poets uh are published with them and sort of anthologies and things yeah, yeah Teresa lola's in search of equilibrium that we reviewed a couple of months ago and what doing the dark Barisi garland which may be coming up soon uh so yes so uh how to be a poet is available on nine arches press and yeah we would thoroughly recommend it 
I think um, I think let's just yeah. echo the fact that we would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. I don't yeah, think I've got yeah. any reservations in recommending no. this book to anybody who's got even a vague passing interest in poetry. Yeah. yeah. It's also got stuff about performing as well. I don't think we mentioned this. There's kind of chapters on like how to perform and things like that. So yeah, mm. it's yeah, it's a fantastic, mm. fantastic book. And now it's time for the notice board, where we spotlight 10 or so opportunities to look out for where you can perform your work or submit it for publication. Rebecca, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so the big one, the big, big one is that Burning Eye is open for submission. I tell you what, I have Googled the phrase Burning Eye so often that I'm now, my Facebook ads are now coming up with like, you know, eye drops and things. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Has anyone here submitted to Burning Eye before? I don't know if they... Sorry, both of you have books published with them, don't you? Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and yeah, yours is also... Yeah, all three, yeah. 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 Um, I used to submit to them sort of regularly, like every submission cycle, and, and not ever get a response. Um, so I would suggest Perseverance. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think I got I got through on my I think it was a seventh or eighth try. Wow! Yeah. Oh, wow! <laughs> Keep yeah. going. So your craft will have evolved hugely. Like, yeah, and I think both both of you, uh, Laurie and Hannah, had submitted um, more before. than once. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, before you were published, yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, and I have been rejected, so I'm on my journey. I'm on my journey. <laughs> I have been rejected by them before. It uh, so yeah. Yep. Um, so, yes, yeah, so their submissions open 1st of January uh, and until the 28th of February for their 2022 poetry list. Uh, so they are open for pamphlets and full collections from active performance poets in the UK. Uh, they don't charge a fee for submissions, but uh, they do want you to tell them about your favourite Burning Eye book. Uh, and we did have, um, if you are interested in submitting this, I'd recommend going and um, listening to uh, and the episode where we interviewed Bridget Hart, who is one of the editors on Burning Eye, talking about what they look for. And, you know, and, and, and Bridget was saying kind of, we do want people to be interested in us as a publishing house. We want them to show that they kind of know the sort of thing we want to publish. Mm. So that does involve looking at some of the books that we've published so um and so yeah um some wonderful pieces by leanne Moden and laurie eves yeah i'm no longer on the old school enough that i need to yeah hook it myself <laughs> um <laughs> yeah something to add on that is um that they i know they're specifically looking for um submissions from trans and non-binary writers yeah mm. They're very, and they are basically very into representation and inclusivity. And yeah, um, so yes, if that sounds like you, uh, go and check them out at uh, burningeye.bigcartel.com forward slash submit. So yes, so that is, that's the big one. They are, you know, um, very explicitly into publishing performance poetry and poetry from poets who perform. So yeah, uh, if that's your bag, take a look at them. Uh, and then my second thing, it's not really a uh, submission thing. It's just a recommendation. Um, Tara and Lois has been doing um, a series of Poets React um, to uh, different things. So um, so I, Leanne mentioned earlier uh, poetry in films and how poetry slams are depicted in films. So I think he's got a couple of those where he's got poets watching the scenes yeah. from, um, I think it was 21 Jump Street and, and a couple of others where... 10 Things um, I Hate About You. Yeah, where there are performance poets and sort of take and kind of getting actual poets to look at it and sort of react in real time. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, his latest one. So if you search for process productions on YouTube and poets react, that should come up. When the episode, when the second Drag Race episode goes up, which I don't think it has yet, you may or may not see me singing 
uh, and I'm telling you I'm not going from the musical Dreamgirls in that mm-hmm. episode. I can't confirm, <laughs> nor deny. It depends how judicious Tyrone is with his edits. Uh, brilliant. Uh, Hannah, what have you got for us? So my first recommendation is for Arachne Press. They currently have a funding application in with Arts Council England, and they're going to be putting together a anthology of fiction and poetry from writers who, based in the UK um, who are black, Asian and minority ethnic. And if you want to be involved in that, at the moment it's just an expression of interest stage, but get in touch with them by the 15th of January if you want to be involved in that. And they're aiming to publish the anthology in the autumn of this year. Um, my second recommendation is still Arachne Press. Um, they are looking to work with UK deaf poets, authors and editors um, for a different anthology that they're also going to be publishing in the autumn 2021. Um, they do pay royalties and if you want to get in touch with for that one the deadline is the 31st of january again it's more expressions of interest at this stage which is a nice less less tense way of doing it um and my final recommendation is a kids one um the i spotted this on the national poetry library's website the caterpillar poetry prize is an annual prize for an as yet unpublished poem written by an adult but for children aged 7 to 11 years old and there's a single judge that judges it this year it's Michael Morpurgo and the cash prize is is 1000 euros um and line limit is 150 lines so you can write about any topic aimed for kids aged 7 to 11 um yeah and oh a final sneaky plug um is that Lost Lit is a monthly write club, an online write club, which happens on Twitter on the first Wednesday of every month between 9pm and 11pm. And I'm never sure whether or not to plug it because when Dead Darlings comes out, it doesn't seem to be coming up very closely. But yeah, it's it's a regular recurring thing, which seemed to be going quiet for a bit last year, but it's sort of picking up steam again. And it's lots of fun because... You're here. You might as well write. Splat. Go for it. And I tend to find that that works better for me than a well thought out, well planned thing that I'm not actually attending one way or the other. Um, so yeah, just being there is quite useful. And that is the first Wednesday of every month. So it probably would have been gone by the time this is out, but keep it in your diaries and keep an eye on it. And it's hashtag lostlit on Twitter. And you can follow at lostlit. L-O-S-S-L-I-T. Um, yeah. Yeah, Laurie, what have you got? So first on my list is Bad Betty Press are still open for submissions. I think we've mentioned this one before, but I think it's worth mentioning because the deadline is coming up um, and they are specifically looking for submissions from, in their words, black, brown and Asian writers. Um, You can see the full details for that on their website. And the deadline is the 31st of January. Secondly, the Magma Poetry Competition is currently open. And the competition is open for entries in two categories. Um, The judges prize for poems of 11 to 50 lines, which will be judged by Teresa Lola, whose book In Search of Equilibrium we reviewed a couple of months ago. It's great. Um, So I'm really interested to see what poems she picks to win. 
Uh, there's also the editor's prize for poems of up to 10 lines, and that's going to be judged by a panel of magma editors. Um, the first prize for both of them is pretty good, a thousand pounds. And the prize winners uh, will also be published in Magma. And the deadline for that is Friday, the 15th of January. And finally, from me, Spread the Word Life Writing Prize 2021 is opened. It's judged by Damien Barr, Catherine Cho, and Francis Wilson. The winner of the prize will receive £1,500 as well as an Arvon course, a writing mentor, two years membership for the Royal Society of Literature, and an optional development meeting with an agent or editor. That sounds pretty funky. Yeah, that sounds amazing. It sounds really good. Uh, the deadline is Monday, the 1st of February. Brilliant. Anything you guys want to plug? Uh, just that the Dead Darlings Advent calendar is um, is still all there for the taking um, and, mm. and is, is just over 25 of our selected favourite poets doing awesome things. So, yeah, go check it out. Laurie, anything you want to plug? Uh, as always, my book, Biceps, is still available from Burning Eye Books, or you can get a copy on my website, which is laurieeves.bigcartel.com. There's also an audio version on shiny brick red cassette tape. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Laurie Eves Poet, on Instagram at Laurie Eves Poet, or on Twitter at Mr. Leaves. That's it, I think, from me. Brilliant. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rebecca K. Cooney, uh, on Instagram at any name but Becky. Uh, my website is RebeccaKCooney.wordpress.com and I'm on Facebook as Rebecca Cooney-Poet. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter and uh, Instagram at Dead Darlings Pod, Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard, please remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word. Uh, uh, thank you to, to my co-hosts, Hannah and Laurie, to Leanne Moden for joining us, to Texas Radio for our theme music, and to you for listening. I'm Bye. 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 Bye.